Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. It's our annual end-of-the-year wrap-up with writers from around the globe who cover the beer industry. In a moment, you'll hear from Matt Kierkegaard, Christopher Shepard, Brandon Hernandez, and Melissa Cole. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. And for additional audio content, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice and listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer, the All About Beer podcast, and Beer Travelers, all which are now available. And if you're a fan of smoked beer, and of course you are, why not check out This Week in Rauk Beer? The Facebook group is easy to search, and on Twitter and Instagram, we're at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you this show each week thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. Learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We bring original articles to probrewer.com each week covering issues that are important to the beer industry and that are aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand the different facets of the business. Check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. I'm so glad to once again be doing this show with friends who cover the beer industry. Matt Kierkegaard is the founder and publisher of Brews News, Australia's leading brewing industry news and analysis source. He also hosts the Radio Brews News podcast. Melissa Cole is a journalist, the author of five books, including The Ultimate Book of Craft Beer. She's also an international judge, and she usually hates me around this time of year when celebration is released. Christopher Shepard writes and edits and follows trends and analyzes data for the family of beer industry trade publications from Beer Marketers Insights. He is a senior editor of craft-focused Craft Brew News, which is a newsletter. He's also the editor of Alcohol Issues Insights, covering industry, environmental, social, government issues alongside alcohol policy and science. He also writes poetry, dances, and hikes near his home in the suburbs of New York City. And Brandon Hernandez is an award-winning San Diego-based beer travel journalist and author. He's covered the brewing industry for 17 years, contributing to thousands of articles to newspapers, magazines, and online outlets. He also spent nearly a decade working for craft breweries, including Stone, Alesmith, and Society. He's the founder of San Diego Beer News, an on-air correspondent for the Fox 5 San Diego and 91X, a beer industry contributor for the San Diego Union Tribune, The New Brewer, and craftbeer.com. He has also been featured, my goodness, Brandon Hernandez, he's also been featured as the food and beverage editor for luxury publication Ranch and Coast Magazine, and he's also the head of the Beer to the Rescue campaign, which has raised over $150,000 for the Lupus Foundation of Southern California since 2015. They all joined me via Zoom. Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for thanks for doing this. It's it's always great to get together with fellow writers, even if it is virtually. And I had a whole bunch of things that I wanted to talk about because it's been a fairly eventful year. But Melissa, I want to start with you because when we're recording this on uh, December thirteenth, I think it was just two days ago that a little bit of news happened that from from your part of the world that the great british beer festival was not going to be happening 
in yeah. 2024. And I'm I'm curious about that because there's obviously been a lot of changes with how people approach beer festivals. There's been, I don't know, I think it's at a crossroads right now, at least here in the US, but that the fest isn't going to happen in in the new year. What does that mean for for British beer? Yeah, I mean, uh, just one thing, sorry. I just have to open um, a can of this um, beer that you guys might actually be familiar with. It's called um, Celebration. Fuck you, Hall! (laughs) (laughs) Did you get the, uh, you finally got the the 2021 version sent over? Is that, that's nice. I'm so excited. I haven't actually drunk any yet. Hang on a minute. Is it, is it this year's? Is it the 23? Mm. Yeah, it is. Right. Wow. Sorry for anybody who's listening to this for the first time. John has spent years rubbing it in my face that he can just basically pick up cases and cases of celebration from Sierra Nevada. And it has been like gold dust over here. And then for whatever reason, it's been super widely available um, for a given value. Of widely I, I want to know what underlord deity you had to strike a deal with to get fresh celebration and what part of your soul you promised to get it. I mean, I love that you assume it was my soul <laughs> that I have one for a start. But anyway, sorry. Right back to the question. <laughs> it's so good. Celebration. It, 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 it's it's worth repeating. Celebration is so good. It is so, so good. So good. Uh, but Melissa, I have to one up you because I know you've uh, got like nine million vintage. No, no, no. Sierra Nevada. We wrote about this on allaboutbeer.com, but Celebration does a rare brewery only tapping of what they call celebration drippings or celly drippings which is the bags that have been soaked the bags of hops that have been soaking in the beer after they empty out their their 800 barrel fermenters those bags are just hanging in the 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 vast empty space and it's like a tea bag and all of that concentrated beer that's been hanging onto the hops drips to the bottom of the tank and then they keg that off and they they get about like six kegs of it or six six or something like that um, that they can serve at the Mills River facility. And they sent me a, a crowler of it this year and it's Ooh, delightful. I, I don't care how much I like Sierra Nevada. I still don't want them to teabag me. God. Well, right. here we are. There we are. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't take long, but yeah, who had three and a half minutes? That was yep. Amazing. Stra- strap in, kids. Here we go. So tell us. About, so tell us about the Great British Beer Fest. But one of you knew a response to that. That was just glorious. Anyway, it is absolutely sensational, and I've got to be honest. The words drippings and teep. No, it all sounds. I'm sure it's delicious, but in principle, to my to my British ear, anyway, it sounds dreadful. <laughs> that's just the jealousy talking <laughs> it really is <laughs> anyway right I've, I've set the tone as you do yeah as I do. so 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 what's going on with the fest so uh i mean really long short the the, the real genuine um issue is is that the the venue olympia which is really quite honestly probably the only venue capable of holding gbbf um which i know is something that for example the brewers association struggles with with uh, things like crow brewers conference and 
and World Beer Cup and and um, also GABF is that you know GABF has to be where it is because it's such a beer moth and and places where they can actually hold things like Craft Brewers Conference um it is really shrinking because of the sheer again because it's such a huge thing so a bit like like the amount of cities that that can go to in the us really in london um olympia is the only venue that is feasible and so the problem is is that olympia is a knackered old building and it is undergoing enormous renovation works i mean like huge it's also frankly I said this before to people. I've said it in an editorial um, yesterday. Is that it is a bit like getting pissed in a bus garage. Um, it's not. It's not a welcoming, friendly, or comfortable site to go to. So you know, it's. It, 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 I think that this is a really good time for camera to stop and assess and do something whilst those building works are going on at Olympia that make it impossible for the venue to guarantee that GBBF can go ahead in the way that it needs to. You, you, and I'm, I want to bring everybody else in on this conversation in just a second, but uh, you said uh, camera using this time to sort of assess. Um, what does that mean? Like, what what do they need to be thinking about long term at this point well a couple of things is the campaign for real ale has has very right and properly been pushing very hard to if not keep up with the times and not run quite so far behind them <laughs> in recent years and then they and i i take my hat off to um the people at the top of the organization and also the people in the voluntary part of the organization who have really been pushing that but i mean honestly if you are the campaign for real ale and you're only putting on like two events a year the great uh, winter beer festival and the great british beer festival one's in manchester one's in london um and really, the Manchester one is quite a lot smaller. I, I I feel like you're not really actually doing the outreach work that you could be in terms of your campaign. And is actually that beer festival the showcase that you think it is? Because I can tell you now that, that everybody in the beer industry that I know walks out trade day and genuinely it's like, OK, open up the bingo card. Did you get somebody tell you telling you you didn't know what you were talking about about beer when you took one back to taste of vinegar? Tick. Did you get a, a did you get a um a volunteer say to you as a woman that uh, you know you, you should be having a ladies glass or a half pint glass? Oh, Tick. Jesus. Um yeah, it, the, the problem is, is that it, it is not it is not what it could be and because it is such a beer moth it, it, the problem is, is that the these are such a small well not the actual quality of the beer but again because the quality of the beer is just not good enough at this thing to make it a showcase and the problem is is that you've got all of this sort of coming together as a bit of a perfect storm so everybody goes on the trade day to see all their pals and and have a massive catch-up but then everybody leaves and goes somewhere else and bitches about it and then by the time it gets to the saturday all that's left is dregs um it's just it, it's not it's it's not what it could be and especially with all of the more modern beer festivals that, that are out and about now, that it really does throw it into a stark light. And that is not to criticise the 
thousands of volunteers who help put this together. The problem is the nature of the beast, not the people who are behind it. Well, I was hoping actually to go in 24, but because I've never been, but I need to wait to get pissed in a bus station garage before uh, I mean, 2025. Totally do that if you like. I mean, sure. Yeah. Funny. We'll just show up at the, at the Greyhound station at, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, firstly, uh, there's a Greyhound over here, but you know, well, the equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt, I want to bring you in uh, as it is now after midnight, uh, your time, <laughs> and I, I want to keep you awake as best as possible. Um, what are festivals like or what have festivals been like in Australia this year? Funnily enough, just this week, uh, the uh, Good Beer Week, which is probably our biggest consumer-facing um, festival, was put in hiatus uh, hiatus for 2024. Um, its future's been a little bit uncertain for a while. Um, and it, in a lot of ways, it really traces the history of craft beer in Australia. It was a festival that started 12, 13, 14 years ago, very organically. We have our major beer awards in May. And with all of the tribes coming together, everyone in Melbourne, uh, it, it just seems silly not to have a, a beer festival. So this festival just took off um, with uh, the, the industry support, venue support. It was a huge consumer outreach event, but they're becoming less and less relevant because a big part of it was uh, you, you could get craft beer from all around the country uh, on tap, which you normally couldn't. But with so many just bars every day having you know great tap ranges of beer, having a concentrated week of trying beers just doesn't have the relevance anymore. So it, it, it's a huge thing to organise. It's massively expensive. All of the venues that it's a citywide event, um, all of the venues complain, you know, if they pay their money to be part of it and they don't get a crowd. Um, so it's just been a, it, it's, it's a real shame because it was a wonderful event, um, but it just doesn't seem to have the relevance in the cash anymore in a world where craft beer is just packed to the rafters everywhere that you go. Brandon, you, really sorry, sorry, go ahead. It's really heartbreaking because I was I was down there doing. You've been a couple of times, uh, yeah. Uh, no, just once, actually, sadly. Oh, just once. Um, okay. So just, it, it felt like a couple of times. It feels like you never get rid of me. <laughs> 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 um, and, and it was amazing. Is Gab still going ahead as well? Uh, Gab's is still going ahead. Um, it's now a national event. Um, what is Gab's? It, uh, the Great Australian uh, Beer Spectacular. Oh, oh, um, spectacular. Spectacular. Um, oh, oh, tap yeah. oh, yeah, puns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's at least word play. Play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it, it's a great event. And it, it started, it it was another one that just started in a small venue, um, uh, I think twice a year and just grew and it became this huge event. And then it was sold a couple of years ago and has uh, really become a national um, event. Um, but again, it's trying to find its way forward, whereas once upon a time, it was really about what they had was specialty beers where uh, you know, initially I think 20 or 30 breweries all brewed a one-off beer um, for the event. Uh, and now I think there's over 100. Um, but 
those sorts of novelty beers are just a dime a dozen these days. So whereas it was a thing to introduce a huge range of very interesting experimental, um, you know, boundary pushing beers, that's just about every brewery's, se- you know, seasonal release. And by seasonal release, I mean, you know, almost weekly. Um, uh, so those sorts of events are really struggling to find um you know, a, a relevance with consumers who can turn up at any bar and have every one of their whims catered to. Hey, Brandon, uh, it is now uh, 20 after 6 a.m. your time, so I want to keep you awake as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been traveling around this year. You've been you've been to a couple of festivals. You've seen some you, you've you've seen th- some things and been doing this for a long time as well. What's been your read on a lot of these consumer events over the last year? You know, I, I think it's really interesting here in the United States um, because I do get around, you know, different places, different time zones, different places that are in their uh, individual uh, journeys, the spot on the journey of craft beer. Uh, so just so everyone listening knows, I'm from San Diego and that's where I was born and raised. And so I've watched the craft beer movement go. You were not born in San Diego. Well, okay. Okay. I'm close enough. But that was like, it would take me 15 minutes to get into the whole thing. Okay. I was born in Landstuhl, then West Germany on a military base. Came back to where my both sides of my family are from in San Diego. All right. Two fine. months later. I'm just here for and accuracy, pal. I, I, I do appreciate you for that. But um, yeah. <laughs> So San Diego saw it from the beginning all the way to where it is now. And so um, it was kind of a forerunner uh, in the United States as far as craft beer culture and and just kind of seeing where the craft beer movement could go and would go and has gone. Um, When I go to different cities that are a little uh, behind us, I see them at different points that I can recognize from San Diego's history. And it's really interesting because... Some folks, they could have a beer week or a big festival and it'd be a huge deal and uh, as well it should be. Um, and then there's other places where like in San Diego, we used to joke around when San Diego Beer Week came around. They say beer week is every week. There's literally there were literally multiple festivals every single weekend, I think, uh, in 2017, 18. And then the pandemic came along and we did, we figured it would bounce back and everybody would be just really eager to get out to these events. But um, it turns out not so much. And San Diego Beer Week has kind of um, not gone away or become a terrible thing or become some awful shadow of what it was, but it's just not what it was. And the interest isn't there, kind of like uh, what Matt is uh, talking about. Um, there's just so many venues and, and, People are pushing the envelope all year long. So you see that. But then again, I go to other places where they're a little earlier, like the the uh, the Reno's and the uh, Salt Lake City's Jacksonville. And they're all about it. They're kind of like 10 to 15 years into their development. And beer is a much bigger thing than it is in San Diego because it's newer and they haven't pushed all the boundaries yet. They haven't. Um, seeing where it can go from an event standpoint and even gotten maybe to some of the second tier events that involve, uh, say, food or uh, cross-drinking with spirits and other craft uh, beverages. So um, it's it's very case-by-case case to me, but I do believe that uh, of all these years of going to different places and seeing how they kind of stack up to my hometown, that, uh, that there is a certain uh, 
there is a certain track that that these uh different beer cities are running on and eventually they get to pretty much the same place it's really interesting but um right now i think there's a lot of a lot of interest in these types of events um all over and, and i think that um some of the the vanguard events that we love so much are maybe struggling more than they have in the past but that's probably just following the trends of overall interest in craft beer uh, market challenges that, that that segment is facing and and all of that but i'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more as we we talk here more today yeah well that was certainly my experience at the great american beer festival this year um i went on the first night uh and it felt empty at the colorado convention center and you know it it's the 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 room felt a little bit older I didn't I didn't see that uh you know that younger crowd that um uh had long populated Thursday nights um and I mean honestly it it just it felt I don't know it it felt a little little stark at times and there's obviously some things that GABF added this year they had a, a seltzer and a, a gluten-free pavilion and the gluten-free was cool um they also had uh, the international beer section at the great american beer festival this year which um i i thought was kind of interesting and, and you know i didn't i didn't really have anything from there but it's they're they're definitely trying to broaden broaden things out to newer generations and to get people to um to 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 come out um shep nobody does numbers better than you nobody follows trends better than you um through the through the data um, What's the beer drinking consumer like these days? There's a beer drinking consumer. Oh man! <laughs> right, just no, pack, and, it, and, pack, pack it in, everybody. We're all we're all out of a job. It's <laughs> I, I I I joke, but like like sort of only a little bit. The 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 I mean, we've been watching for a long time now. Consumers just be interested in sort of more different, new. Um, that's been a struggle for craft for. Uh, a long time uh and you know it, honestly it's it's not just craft that's struggling right now this is you know i i cover craft but i i cover the total u.s beer industry and this is almost certainly going to be the worst year for u.s beer volume since prohibition that just period end of sentence um my company has been tracking u.s beer volume since 1970 and we've not seen anything like this we're talking about uh you know right now volume is tracking down mid single digits usually it's like one percent um so we're looking at like five times that uh jesus the the amount of barrels that are sort of you know disappearing out of the industry this year is literally unprecedented since the government said no more um and so <laughs> that's prohibition in, in 1920 yeah, yeah exactly right and so you know that's um the whole industry is sort of grappling with like what do we do here um and so uh it's <laughs> to me i look at that and i i there's there are plenty of consumers that are still like yes i drink beer i drink beer all the time i drink mostly beer but that is a smaller and smaller group of people um and the group of people that are are drinking 
all sorts of different things is is growing more and more. Again, that's that's not a new story. Um, it's just hitting a lot harder this year um, than it has in the past. Uh, and uh, you know, and those other consumers that are drinking across a wide array of beverages are are younger. You know, my generation, the millennial generation, we we started that uh, in in a big way a decade ago that was part of the reason why craft grew so strongly a decade ago uh, because we were interested in drinking different things and craft was a different thing um you know in as we move into the gen z generation um you know there is more of that uh and also just do i really need to be drinking, right? Is that is that the thing? Uh, I think that story is a little bit overblown the way that it's been sort of portrayed in the press. It's not like this mass exodus away from alcohol, um, but a couple of percentage points matter. You know, yeah. you have you have three to five percent, um, or maybe even a bit more of a generation that's just a little bit more skeptical and a little bit more interested in just cutting back. Um, that makes a difference. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a it's been a rough 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 year for for the U.S. beer industry and uh, clearly not just in the U.S. When when you talk about barrelage um, yeah. disappearing, is it are places closing or are they just putting their efforts into other beverages that are not beer? Um. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the vast majority of those barrels are are not being made at small breweries, um, uh, right? They're, they're, I'm mostly talking about very large breweries, and and let's be clear, you know, the a huge amount of that volume is being lost by the largest brewer in the country and in the world, um, and Heiser Busch, yeah, 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 who's losing uh, over a tenth of their U.S. volume this year, uh, and is that solely you know, on Bud Light? No, uh, it's mostly Bud Light. Bud Light is down by probably, it'll probably be 20 to 25%, right? So we're talking about the largest brand in the country losing a, almost a quarter of its volume, um, which is just monstrous. Um, but the, the, yeah. the, the, the scary part of that is that um, it's that's <laughs> that volume's not being picked up by other brewers. Um, you know, Molson Coors is having a great year with Miller Light and Coors Light. They're having record years um, with the growth there. Total turnaround stories because those brands have been in decline for a while too. But you know, it, they're not getting all of it. Um, you know, everyone's talking about Modelo Especial. It's it is in fact I am here to tell you not the new number one brand uh, by volume in the country. Um, that'll still be Bud Light at the end of the year, but it's not you know, getting all of those barrels either. Nobody is because um, a lot of those barrels are just leaving the industry. And on the craft side, uh, yeah, I mean, there are some breweries that are closing, you know, amazingly, the, the BA sort of put their best estimate out right now. It's still not like a crazy, crazy high spike. Um, it, it's still not like all of a sudden, uh, you know, two or three times what it was the last couple of years. It's higher. There's more of them that are closing and that number will go up as yeah. you know as we do a little as they do a little bit more research and get the full numbers um there are more breweries that are making other things um but honestly the other big story for the barrels disappearing from the beer industry this year is that a lot of those barrels include hard seltzer right malt and sugar-based hard seltzer is included in you know that volume that we count and seltzer is 
down huge this year ever because it's a lot of that is moving to other beverages um and you know the twisted teas the fmbs the simply spiked lemonades of the world are not picking up all the volume that seltzers losing a lot of that's going to spirits-based seltzers the high noons uh the canned cocktails uh and those kinds of things um but that doesn't make up for all the volume either. There, there is actually just sort of volume disappearing from alcohol um, in in twenty twenty three. So, uh, a lot of people are asking themselves, like, what do what do we do in this world? Um, uh, haven't heard too many fabulous answers yet, um, but we'll see what twenty twenty four brings. Melissa, who's on her second can of celebration at the moment, um, when you're at bars and i know i know you frequent pubs and you're you're out about in town what are people drinking what do you what do you see being passed over the bar to to to, to drinkers i mean obviously as a in in the uk in in pubs we are you know we are a pretty point-based society um we do vertical drinking better than anybody else in the world um but um which inevitably leads to horizontal sleeping or passing it um but uh yeah I, I think that the the issue again i mean they're all the same things um that chips just talked about there and it is no doubt that the you know as night follows day the uk trends follow the us trends um interestingly one of the things that's never really made a dent here um although i do notice that white claw is taking a big swing um, at opening a, a huge like winter winter wonderland bar over here um this is a hard seltzer's never never really hit it but we are very fond of a pre-mixed cocktail um interestingly i would say that they're more of a pre-loading thing they're more of an off-trade than an on-trade thing people tend to pre-load on them or therefore drinking on trains or things like that um but yeah, I think that the, there is very much a, a, a scratching of heads and very much one of the things that when I'm talking to people and I'm doing a few mentoring bits and pieces with folks at the moment through um, a scheme uh, set up by a woman called Emily in, in Scotland, um, which is WIB, Women in Beer. Um, but this is all about mentoring people. It's so talking about hyper-local. And... Um, there are a lot of people who have left bigger breweries and said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to open my small place and it's going to be comfortable. It's not going to be cavernous. It's going to have open mic nights and it's going to have comedy and it's going to have local artists and it's going to have all those sorts of things. So like tap rooms are still doing really well. In fact, I'd say that they're doing very well. Um, and if you're a brewery at the moment, particularly in the UK, who wants to open up, my advice to everybody is, firstly, don't bother selling pizza. Everybody else does. Do something else. And also make your place comfortable. Nobody wants... I mean, it was never industrial chic in the first place. It was just cheap and bloody cold and uncomfortable. Um also, just pizza anywhere outside of the New York metro area is an abomination, so don't do it. <laughs> okay. And that's when the fight started. So, <laughs> right. That's another conversation. Um, Matt, oh, has, I couldn't care less about pizza, so you can have a... I know you don't want people to make it because you want people to come and visit the greater New York metro area and get the best pizza in the world. I, I understand. Um, 
Matt, you and I have had this conversation about hard seltzer uh, mm. uh, not taking off or not uh, resonating in the same way down by down 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 by you. Um, is that still the case? Yeah. Look, it it it's there have been people that have given it a try. It's it had a little bit of a you know anything that's new is going to have a little bit of an interest bump um, and. Seltzer has been very much about that, but we have a a, a big um, canned cocktail. What well, we we call them ready to drinks. Um, yeah, RTDs. Know, spirits, yeah, yeah RTDs. Um, and this year we had a a, a big kerfuffle um, when one of our largest breweries. Do you have Solo, which is a soft drink, anywhere else a- in the world? I don't know it. No. Okay. It's just a lemon Melissa? flavored soft drink. Okay. But it's it, it for fifty years. It's it, it's been a, a drink in Australia, and it was always targeted as being an adult soft drink. Very much, if if you think of nineteen seventies mustachioed men um, in short shorts being awesome canoeing and you know rock climbing and things like that. It they was had very much, yes, yeah, 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 sign me up. <laughs> so it was the thirst crusher, you know, a light on the fuse so you could knock it down fast, and that was always its motto. And in in this year, um, Asahi, um, which makes Fosters, um, decided to weaponize it by putting ethanol in, you know, there's no glamour to it it's not a partnership with a spirits company that has a brand and some form of provenance it's just alkalized solo and they didn't change the branding they didn't do anything and it just really was a red rag to the bull for regulators this year but it's at the same time it's been huge um it was a massive launch um because it tastes just like soft drink but has alcohol in it so you don't get any flavor break to like you don't have the bitterness that beer has you don't have you know if if you have a cocktail you still taste the alcohol this has just been something that has just been easy easy alcohol to consume in its easiest most infantile form um and and it's gone through the roof and i think that's where um, a big part of the market is So I mean, we we've had, had but yeah, we had we had stuff like that 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 um, years back. So we this is actually kind of our our second wave of RTDs. Um, so we had uh, things like God, I mean, we're going back at least twenty years here. Uh, things like Smirnoff Mule, Smirnoff Ice. Yep. Yeah, we've had all of way those. Early, yeah. Way way earlier than the rest of the world. We were about five years before they actually put it out to the rest of the world. Um, it was a Diageo. I don't think it was even Diageo. Was it even Diageo at that point? I can't remember. But it was a real. It was a real. Let's see how it goes in the UK. And there was also some slightly more in inverted commas artisan ones in in Woodies. Um, and then uh, and then really the big hit was Hooch and Two Dogs, and they were exactly what. And and also um, Reef, which was. Uh, uh, sort of a tropical uh, passion fruit and mango um, and another flavor as well. I can't remember. Um, and they were just like drinking juice and, and and you really didn't know. And people would get absolutely mortaled on them. 
uh, and it was all aimed at students, university students, university student venues. Um, they were quite, they were a bit ahead of their time, some of them. They tried cans quite early on, didn't quite, didn't quite nail it. I don't think the canning technology was quite there then, but, you know, all of these things were happening and, and then it sort of went away because premium packaged lagers came in and people kind of wanted to be seen with, you know, this, when Stella Artois was a premium, considered a premium product and Beck's and things like that. And um, I think uh, Michelob had a, a time in the sun as well. And so all of those things kind of you know, superseded it. But it's really interesting that you know, <laughs> they're called revolutions for a reason, right? They're circular. But it's it's a, it's a funny thing to see that this is effectively coming back to the fore. And going back to your point about weaponizing an existing soft drink, that just strikes me as a really, really short-term vision. <laughs> well, that, it's interesting that you say that, Melissa. I because um, th that is one of the you know probably top five stories of the of the U.S. alcohol industry. I was going to say, yeah, go, is, yeah, is the entrance of the the large soda companies. Um, you know, uh, in the la that's been building over the last couple of years. Hard Mountain Dew from Pepsi also doing a Lipton uh, a Lipton hard iced tea, uh, yeah. uh, which is much smaller at this point, but that's pretty new. Um, Coke has a bunch of different things. It's working with a bunch of different alcohol suppliers. Uh, there's the uh, Jack and Coke, canned Jack and Coke. That's global. Um, there's uh, Simply Spiked. Uh, there's a bunch of things that I'm not going well, to remember or try to remember. The Dunkin' Donuts that got in with, uh, I know that's not exactly. a soda company, but Dunkin' Donuts got into it this year. Um, right. Yeah. And the, what, the one of the ways that I look at this trend is, is listen, we're talking about a world where Big hasn't exactly been in fashion for a while, right? No matter what category you're in, there's been sort of fragmentation and, mm. and sort of shift to the bottom. That's been true in beer. That's been true in in uh, spirits to a lesser degree, but in lots of different consumer-facing goods. And so, uh, you know, so we're it's also a world of collabs, right? Like the Instagram culture of you know, especially niche or high-end brands, especially fashion brands, are all about the collaboration. The you know, so-and-so X somebody else um, yeah. working on some specialty release. And so that drives interest, that drives conversation. And so, you know, even if it is a short-term bump, it's a short-term bump that they didn't have last year. Um, but the other thing that a lot of people are talking about when it comes to drinks is that they're starting to question, are we looking at a world, are we looking at sort of a precursor to a more consolidated drinks business, right? Are, are we looking at the possibility of these sort of major soda companies and major breweries or other, you know, other suppliers um, in alcohol coming together, merging, being acquired, uh, so on and so forth, right? Is the next stage of global drinks consolidation finally sort of breaking down the barrier between alcohol and non-alcohol, which has existed for a long time, but uh, these sort of collaborations some you know some people will say it's just it's just sort of footsie for that next stage of consolidation um and you I know mean, it very well yeah i mean I, I don't disagree with that i think for a couple of reasons one is, is uh as uh, i mean mostly i think this is uh, i i would say that this is extreme and this is just a a, a, a supposition on my part but if you're going to be somebody in these 
big companies and they've got some of the smartest people in the world working for them. I mean, also, I've met some of the dumbest people in the big companies as well, but that's part of life. But you're not, you've got people that are not just looking at the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You're looking at, you've got people who are working on the next 50 to 100 years. And particularly with the issue of climate change, consolidation makes a lot of sense. Number of reasons is that it actually means that you can consolidate a lot of your shipping, your transportation, your trucking, your canning, your ability to buy raw ingredients, um, your ability to buy packaging, all those sorts of things. Your ability to then also work on byproducts, uh, whether it's bioethanols or CO2 recapture, things like that. Um, and also the other thing as well is that, frankly, water. If I was if I was Coca Cola or Pepsi or or whoever, and I was looking at, at something and thinking, who's another company that needs good food safe or ability to build plants that need, that can make it food safe, drink safe, water? I want to be in. I want to be in bed with them. Yeah, and the I mean, it's. It's it's sort of a weird. Um, I am interested in. I've been following a little bit, and I'm interested to see sort of where it goes, right? But you know, some big companies are a whole lot better uh, at investing in those kinds of things, right, and sort of protecting those things than a lot of smaller companies. That's not mutually exclusive. That's not sort of across the board. Um, but you know, there there's been a ton of investment in that. Um, you know, there are all sorts of concerns. Don't don't think that I'm sitting here standing here today, sort of rah rah consolidation. Um, I I'm I am have plenty of concerns about those things too. And uh, there's also this. Um, we're in a moment in the U.S. at least where there is a, a sort of revival of antitrust and sort of trust busting by the by the the current administration um, in the federal government. And so we'll see how that evolves um, as well. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, you. You raise a good point uh, in terms of the, the sort of very long term view and the the sort of large long term strategic view uh, of these companies. Uh, you can sort of see why um, it makes sense to them, right? Why why those numbers sort of work out. Um, but I again, I always I think I, I frame it in the in a sort of response to the consumer, right? The consumer does seem less interested in big though right which is sort of the primary problem right if they can't grow the big brands they find ways to collaborate to to um get that bump uh but that that doesn't that long-term trajectory isn't great um and so it makes so that that should benefit small breweries right that that should logically benefit small brands um Maybe maybe not in twenty twenty three. We'll we'll see how twenty twenty four goes. Question yeah. mark. <laughs> Matt, does any of this resonate with you, and what you're seeing? We've lost Matt. Brandon, um, while we wait for Matt yeah, to get sorry, back. Oh, there you go. I, I oh, had myself on mute while I coughed and forgot to under. Un <laughs> it's all good. Uh, yeah, look, it, it it does, and it, it's been one of the things that I've been watching, and I, I guess we're all beer writers, and beer is our passion, so there's always a little bit of me that, you know, gets disappointed when you see the shift away from beer, and I really try and understand what's driving that, and, you know, I've spoken to two or three generations of, of, of brewers that have talked about 
how beer is such a challenging thing to first come at. You know, bitterness is we're hardwired to avoid beer um, as children because apparently it's an evolutionary thing where poisons um, tend to be bitter. So it's an acquired taste. And in a world where alcohol has become so sweet and infantilized, people aren't waiting around to acquire a taste for beer. And I really worry what that means long-term as you know, because all of our diets um, have 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 changed substantially, um, and beer is really going to struggle to win new followers. Particularly, and and I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts about this. You know, craft beer created such excitement over the last ten or fifteen years, but is craft beer now starting to be seen as disco once was? You know, where it's not really being remembered for the flavor innovation, but more for the culture that was so closely identified with it that is actually not as interesting to a new generation coming through. Brandon, I want to hear from you on that. Um, I applaud Matt because he agrees with me. Um, I have been saying this for a long time uh, because, you know, I have a child, I have grandchildren. So I, I, I've been looking at these uh, generational things also when I worked at breweries. And um, I'm going to I'm going to paint in really broad strokes here. So no offense to anybody, and I and I don't think any one generation is like quote unquote better uh, than another or anything like that. But you know, when I was coming up and generations before me, it was all about becoming an adult as fast as you could. You wanted to be an adult, and um, for the longest time before we had things like social media to show us what any of that could be, you had this one version of being an adult: you move out, get a job, make a family. And uh, you drink alcohol and do fun things like that, right? But then the alcohol back then was generally beer, but there was also things like you know, um, you know, hard hard drinks and hard alcohol, and and that's how you knew. I mean, uh, not not to uh, get into genders and stuff, but like for for men, like that's how you knew you were a man. And it's like a, a lot of the way that us things like the arrogant bastard campaign and all that worked, right? Because it really triggered things like that. You wanted to show that you could go. To, to the extreme even these things that were bitter and uh didn't really sink with your palate but you muscled it down until you got there then you before you knew it you had a big full-on blown problem um just kidding but you found that you loved beer because you acquired that taste much like um you know uh fancy cheeses and other things like that that just don't necessarily sink with the palate but you get used to it and you find an appreciation for it and next thing you know you love it um the younger generations these days um, have different aspirations that don't involve any of the things I just mentioned as far as what my idea of growing up meant, which is um, move out. Well, not necessarily. Get a job. Not if I don't have to. Um, make a family. I'm not really interested in having kids. I want to follow my own dreams. And it's like, okay, well, that's cool. Um, beer and hard alcohol aren't even part of the equation necessarily and um as far as challenging a palate i'd say that these generations are less into challenging their palates than ever before and honestly if we'd had those options when we were younger i think that we would have been the same way because essentially you're going from uh, having different fruit flavors of a soda brand to having different fruit flavors of a seltzer brand 
or a kombucha brand or anything, but really the seltzer thing is what we have to hit on, right? Because that was the disruptor and disruptors are really good at doing one thing and that's disrupting and not really good at doing another thing, which is lasting. I mean, we all hate Netflix now, right? We all hate all the streaming services now as they become cable. So um, I, I just, uh, I think that these generations will come around and they will eventually challenge their palates when they get bored of things or they just shift. We'll see a cultural thing, but um, yeah, I think they're just going to come around a little later and hopefully they come back around to beer and things like that. Um, it's really interesting too. And you know, on, the, on the back end of that, we have these people who are now being lured in by the nostalgia of brands that they knew as kids. Uh, people who are into beer are being drawn back by the Mountain Dews and what you say, the Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, things yeah. that we, uh, we, we uh, okay. people of my generation, I am 47 years old, um, were very, very much affected by marketing, uh, TV marketing and magazine marketing in particular when we were growing up. And so... I mean, I went into marketing because I enjoyed things like that so much. Um, so these things are ingrained in our head. Like I will still play with the Transformer. I will still build a Lego set right now because they are so cool. So um, yeah, it, it's an interesting way for people to kind of get back a share that they had lost years and years, maybe decades ago, just by putting the word Mountain Dew on something. It's it's kind of nuts to me, but people at least maybe give it a shot where they wouldn't have given it any kind of credence if it was some kind of just a brand new brand that had nothing to do with anything. Um, I think people are just throwing spaghetti against the wall right now. Some of it's kind of sticking, but you're seeing a lot of it just kind of like fall to the floor at this point. So there's a lot of shaking out to be done. And I think that um, those consolidation uh, 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 predictions are very valid. I could totally see it happening. And I honestly think with as wild west as things have become that even for craft, the best thing that you could see is maybe some consolidation, not consolidations really for them so much uh, as teaming. You know, I, a, a decade ago when I worked at Stone, I actually uh, said to Greg Cook, you know, I think maybe the only when, when all the um, big brands were were buying up craft brands, I said, I really think that something that could really help these uh, larger craft brands would be for like the likes of stone and avery and maui and others to just make one big giant group and you know lean on the uh the shared costs and uh shared distribution networks and really get this thing going i i still think that would have worked quite well back then i think it's probably a little too late now but you never know um I, but I there are some places that are doing that for sure yeah oh sh oh sure sure but i think that we probably need to see it on a, on a i think we will see it actually on a larger scale and more and more people doing it um yeah anyways but to go back to it I, i'm not into fruit flavored stuff so melissa you're on the forefront of education i know you do a lot of uh radio presenting and television presenting and you do a lot of tastings and you travel around and you're you're you're, you're educating folks and i think brandon just brought up um you know some interesting things about the younger generation doing what they're doing right now until they get bored and go looking for for something else um what what's the state of of beer education from your perch right now and where does it go i think i think one of the major issues that we've got and i would say that um this is this is something that i would i would level at the at a lot of the us and i saw a bit of a change around this year at um unfortunately i couldn't be there but 
I did notice at GABF, a lot of the OG faces were actually there. Is this a, there's a yep. lot of owners who just decide not to turn up to anything anymore for wh- whatever reason. It's fine, but when a lot of these breweries are built on the cult of personality and people are trying to encourage and engage people that are maybe younger or maybe not even into beer to say, oh, listen, hey, listen, you should come to this. Not only the beer is great setup, but it's a super cool person and they're really amazing. And I remember the first time I met them and I was blown away by their interest and their empathy. And then you get greeted by some scruffy herbert behind the bar who's standing there scratching their ass and the person you're with is just like yeah this seems really cool as a one of the big problems i see is a lack of presenteeism and engagement from founders and owners not necessarily that you have to be there every single time of course not you're knackered you probably need a knee replacement all of these things are totally understandable you know basically i'd say 40 to 50 percent of the Founders who I know who are now in their late 40s and 50s are already looking at some sort of joint replacement because brewing has historically and is still stupidly a ridiculously hyper macho culture where you throw things around the place that you don't need to. But the problem is, is that nobody's really, there's so few people who are really bringing those kind of ambassadors through. So I was chatting uh, with a big brow, I won't name them. Um, a very big, um, a very sorry, very iconic brand, uh, which has a program of brand ambassadors, and they're one of the few breweries who are actually gaining taps because they have brand ambassadors who go in, they do staff training, they go to festivals, they show people how to pour a beer, they immerse them in a culture, and they have converts. Everybody's like, well, you know, everybody should bloody know about craft beer now, shouldn't they? This shit does not happen by osmosis. I can't tell you the amount of 50-year-old blokes at festivals down to 18-year-olds who have just started drinking who honestly didn't even know that a hop was a plant. Everybody has just got it, and I get it. I know that everybody's in a scramble. Everything's difficult, but we've gone from a, 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 a community of people who are so excited to educate and engage and really enjoy what it is that we're doing to just going, oh, Christ, I've got to meet another person. Oh, I don't want to hit another beer nerd in my life. They're going to tell me they like any IPAs. God, instead of saying, hey, pal, if you like an any IPA, why don't you try our pale ale? It's not a West Coast IPA. Don't panic. It's not bitter. It's not going to blow your head off. <laughs> but why don't you try this? Or, hey, listen, if you've got a sweeter palate, you're going to want to try our milk stout. I promise you, I know you think you don't like dark beers. I know you probably think it's going to. Do you like coffee? Do you like chocolate? Do I have good news for you? Instead of just everybody's just got tribal and judgy and frankly have gone wildly backwards on diversity and inclusivity as well. Hmm. I'm getting mindful of time at this point. So I, I'm I'm curious and I wanna kinda go around with, with two more questions for everybody. Um 
but the first one is what will 2023 be remembered for and what's on the horizon for 2024 and brandon i'm going to start with you i say 2023 will probably be remembered at least where i'm at because i do report on my home region uh very in a very focused manner as um the realization of post-pandemic or the pandemic all the things that we expected to come from or during or after the pandemic finally happening with uh you know breweries starting to close uh, yeah. things getting real tight there being no funding and things like that and the real challenge is coming and i think that it'll be remembered as a time when um uh whatever's going to happen that's going to uh whether it be people leaning on each other bringing on people with uh business acumen or whatever it might be um the the beginning of the implementations of the things that will ultimately uh, make the difference between breweries staying around or having to close up shop but also it's going to be remembered as time when um uh breweries the new breweries shifted towards um what i kind of have believed for a long time they were ultimately going to become in the craft beer world and that's uh breweries that are much like at the the dawn of breweries back in the old world um places that service their immediate neighborhood their community uh hubs for that community um maybe craft beer was never meant to be this big behemoth but as a trend it can be but as a long-lasting thing maybe it's not supposed to be and um we're seeing a lot of success with models like that here in san diego where um it's an expansive county there are so many different municipalities and sub neighborhoods within them and the small breweries that are family run or just, you know, is, is a place for those people who are just passionate about beer, brewing, but not necessarily their job and said, I want to make brewing my job. It's a perfect model for them. And it's working out quite well. I think, um, 2024 we'll see more sliding, but I think we'll also see kind of, um, a leveling out and a shake out of maybe operations that just aren't poised for the ultimate future of craft beer. They're just not um, the type of organization that's going to, to flourish in the, in the new age. And there's nothing wrong with that because they were built in an age that was much different and they could in no way foresee exactly what was coming down the pipe and maybe they just couldn't recover or the the big word since 2020 pivot um <laughs> but we're just we're just gradually getting to where we're going to be as far as an industry and uh, we're going to continue down that path but it'll be interesting to see how it goes for sure but i think that we'll also see a lot more innovation as people continue to um you know fight the good fight and and you know continue to make their passion project something that is viable for the future Melissa, how are you going to remember the year and what are you thinking about for next year? The next year? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty much the same here. I think, again, I'll go back to, as I was saying, as I said, that hyperlocality, that understanding, that connection to community is going to be absolutely vital. Um, I think that I, I, have, I have some hope for the UK brewing industry continuing, albeit it's snail-like pro progress um, into a more diverse place. We just had our first non-white beer writer of the year, which was super exciting in, in the shape of David. 
and uh, you know, there are uh, people of color owning more, more and more breweries, whether that's black or Southeast Asian, which is amazing. And, you know, you're seeing that sort of thing, but it just, I, I think we're also going to see more of a closing of ranks for a bit as well. And that's a little concerning. I think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be any big purchases. And I think there were going to be, there's some people who were really both financially and emotionally gearing themselves towards that. And I think it might come back and bite them on the arse. And I think also, to be honest with you, next year is going to be such a tumultuous year politically in the UK. That maybe here in the US too. Yeah. Maybe there in the US as well. Um, um, I'm rather hoping that we're going to swing away from that. <laughs> I sincerely hope you guys don't swing back towards it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's very, very scary. And also just economically at the moment, life is horrific in the UK for people. It's just, we've got unprecedented levels of child poverty, child hunger, um, people using food banks. It's, it's, it's abysmal. So it's an incredibly uncertain world. I think I, all I know about next year is it's probably going to get worse before it's going to get better. Matt, what about you? God, it all sounds very bleak, doesn't it? Um, I, I think <laughs> 2023 in Australia is going to be remembered for the number of breweries that went into what we call administration. I'm not sure whether it's this Chapter 11, I think, that you've got in in the US where businesses can restructure. They effectively go to an external manager who looks at the business, decides whether it's viable, um, quite often looks at its debts, um, offers a you know a, a settlement of all of its debts to um, creditors and then potentially um, can continue to trade afterwards. We've seen quite a number of breweries use that. Um, and that's very much what has been the story of the year this year. Um, I think a lot of that's going to be forgotten about next year. Um, we're just coming into our summer trade period. Christmas is our the height of summer here. So that's when everyone's on holidays. It's the hottest weather. Beer drinking tends to be at its peak. Um, the number of brewers that I've heard talking about, oh, you know, so long as we have a good hot summer, um, we've had a couple of rainy summers nationally the last couple of years, um, we'll be okay. And when you, when you hear businesses um, hoping for dry weather as, as, as a you know guide to whether or not they're going to have a good trade period, that's very concerning. So, you know, I, I think once we get through Christmas and the Christmas card bills come in, uh, you know, January, February, if it hasn't been a great summer for them and uh, consumer spending tightens, particularly if we get another interest rate rise as we've had down here, um, I think it could be a very, very bleak period for a lot of brewers that, you know, have really just been holding on for most of this year. Chip? (laughs) Uh, I, yeah, bleak indeed. Uh, So sorry, but I'll try to turn it around and, and I, already said it listen in my world 2023 has been one story um and it it will be remembered for a very long time as the year that a social media post by a transgender influencer took down uh, or ended up uh in the the sort of number one brand 
losing a quarter of its volume. That story yeah. is going to be going to be studied in universities, uh, in marketing programs uh, as a case study for many, 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 many years. We just sort of ha- we haven't seen it before, um, and it's listen. It's indicative to a, a, a lot of things. Um, I yeah, I was going to say just beyond marketing. Like this yeah, is it's. It's it's a story of America right now, honestly, and right. and I think that's one of the reasons why. And the ugly why, side of it, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it it is a it is a story that is really sort of captures the the divided uh, and divisive uh, rhetoric uh, of the country that is, and and frankly, as you know, as I know, uh, folks around the world, it's it's not just here that sort of is feeling that way. And Melissa just alluded to this uh, moments ago, um, and so th- I think that's one another of the reasons why the story will be followed and and why 2023 will be remembered that way is because it really so clearly captures um uh the feeling of the country um and and the way that uh you know uh, the social media world and and the the written media that can um can really um be weaponized another you know use of that word today um but i as i look forward into 2024 um i also know that there are a lot of people who are thinking very carefully about that and and so 2024 i I think the the real question will be about whether folks can sort of figure out how to um sort of buckle down sort of focus on the fundamentals when we're especially when we're talking about smaller breweries and, and the craft world are, are are you paying attention to what's happening in your space and in your community are you sort of digging deeper and really trying to sort of plant those seeds and and, and sort of tend to that business to to sort of set it up for longer term growth and not just sort of one-off pops um and and as the total beer i i frankly hope that the the larger beer industry starts thinking about things that way too um and and if that's the case then you know maybe 2023 gets remembered as this sort of end of this cycle because frankly the us beer industry has been declining for a decade and a half um maybe 2023 becomes remembered as this sort of end of this cycle and this sort of uh quick drop off um that then allows it to start to to rebuild and and reconnect uh and allow drinkers to reconnect with beer so i'm gonna try to end on that up note my my hopeful optimism uh <laughs> side uh I, I don't know that that that's definitely going to happen but that's what i'm i'm hoping all right so this is going to be the last round of questions so that matt can go to bed and probably brandon goes back to bed and <laughs> melissa who is now on her seventh celebration needs to get to uh, <laughs> uh to the pub for the for the proper shep i'm going to keep it going with you though um Great. and i like that i just interchange chip and shep um do it throughout this throughout this the, the, this episode um as journalists we don't always uh insert ourselves into the story and and, and nor should we but uh this has been a year of closures this has been a year of um uh, places that we that we came up with that um, are are 
have either closed or are planning on closing. And I'm wondering if you, not as the journalist, and this is going to go to everybody, but not as the journalist, but as a, as a beer drinker, as somebody who enjoys being out in the world, uh, was there a closure that happened or that has been announced um, that resonated with you? And so that's the first part of it. And then the second part is what was a new to you brewery that you went to this year that excited you? This is so easy for me. Okay. Uh, Cause my local brewery, uh, my favorite local brewery, I have a number of them, but my favorite local brewery here in the suburbs of, of New York city, um, uh, decided to sell its original location here in the county uh, to focus its operations on a newer facility that it built uh, a little bit further north. It's a little bit harder for me to get to. Industrial Arts uh, um, yeah, Chief, yeah. built an amazing, beautiful brewery in this really cool um, old brick um, sort of complex of warehouses. It took over a, a large amount of space here uh, eight, seven, eight years ago yeah. um, when it opened and started brewing these absolutely amazing beers that I, to this day, absolutely love. Um, they were growing really quickly, built a much, much larger facility up in Beacon, another, you know, 20 which minutes Which is a beautiful an brewery that everybody oh, should go to. Yeah. Freaking amazing. Matt, um, Melissa, Brandon, I'll, I'll come visit and we will go to oh my the new gosh. industrial arts facility. It is just, it is. So let's do that. It's near brewery perfection. Next year, let's do this show from there. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> right. So let's do that. Um, but right. then let's but no go microphones. down. No, yeah. <laughs> We're just going to go and drink there. Yeah. That, but then let's Here's go the down to the original <laughs> location in Garnerville. Um, because one of the things that, that Jeff O'Neill, who is the proprietor of industrial arts did is he, you know, wasn't the, the, it, he probably could have gotten more money, uh, working with somebody else, but he, uh, sort of stuck out and and uh found a guy uh who was gonna take over that original place um and and open a brewery that that opened a week after they closed the taproom in garnerville it's called round table brewery um and they're making i because i was you know i have come close with jeff and uh he sort of gave me the scoop beforehand and uh i met ricardo who uh, who was uh, previously involved in equilibrium um but sort of separated from them a, a number of years ago and then started his own place here with his wife and uh, one of his longtime friends uh they are an argentinian uh and so there is a lot of um they a lot of the inspiration for the beers and for the branding is is their argentinian heritage um which frankly fits really well the the sort of north rockland area the havistra area there is is very heavy latin american central american and south american um and they're making their flagship beer is this completely gorgeous uh they call it a rustic ale it's not quite sour but it just gets up to it uh called alto lindo uh and it's it's just beautiful and it's a very different sort of um brand experience it's a very different sort of beer uh the space is very different um but it uh it's a story that i love because listen i can still get industrial arts all over the place and i still will be um but i can still go to this space that i love going to uh and still drink really fabulous beer um that has it in a totally different vibe so uh that question's super easy for me uh, okay. and i'm i'm thrilled by it that sounds like a win-win 
it totally is still drink the beers everywhere that you really love but now you've got something even better yeah it really I is i'm like boasting actually chip i've got the yeah <laughs> <laughs> melissa brewery that closed brewery that's uh that you discovered um so uh um last year i think i've just I'd, yeah i would have just moved into to our our new house pretty much and i was super excited because just down the road was boxcar who make a spectacular mild which is just oh. the most amazing drink and it's yeah, it is. properly low abv beautiful silky but still bitter light but not watery just sensational absolutely world class and then about four months later they went bust well, they didn't go bust per se they 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 just they just couldn't keep up with their debts from covid and their landlord wanted out and all sorts of ugliness so um they're still going as a brand but i can't wander along to them but in a semi similar boast okay. not too not too not too long ago uh just in fact just over a year ago um not too far away just a, a quick hop and a skip and a jump on public transport is um a great new brewery called great beyond so that's fantastic. Uh, really excited. But the, much as I love Great Beyond, and I'm sorry, John and the gang, I'm going to say is the one that I'm most excited about, opening I'm most excited about this year is actually up in Manchester. And it's a brewery called Balance. And I cannot believe the audacity of a wild mixed firm, whatever you want to call it, brewery, to open up and straight out of the gate have such truly truly sensational mixed firm beers like incredible their tap rooms like a shabby boudoir it, on an industrial estate when it's the antithesis of an in, an industrial estate brewery it's all sort of broken down damask furniture and comfortable little corners and lots and lots of soft furnishing and curtains on the walls so that everything doesn't echo around the place. It's actually one of the very rare warm tap rooms, particularly in Manchester. Um, and it is just the beers are out of this world. Nice. Matt, brewery that closed that made you sad? Brewery you discovered um, this year that made you happy? Yeah, um, brewery that closed, again, I'm being tucked down uh, down under, uh, I'm going to internationalise it. And it was just fascinating watching all of the news around Anchor Steam closing. You know, yeah. it was, uh, e even down here, it was a brewery that everyone knew about, anyone who had an interest in craft beer because of its role in, in the modern craft beer movement. And just watching all of the stories coming out of it about the, it, it just sounds like it was a disaster from being purchased, but then it was a brewery that, you know, I, I think I've heard, I, I didn't get to drink it very often, um, but it sounded like that there were quality issues and you really had to love the brand. Yeah. To, you're to not missing much. Yeah. 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 But it, it, it says so much about the tensions that exist within the industry and uh, also the fickleness of consumers because of the number of, you know, uh, people coming out and decrying, you know, being so unhappy that it closed and, uh, you know, condemning the corporate masters when they hadn't bought it for years and forgetting that, you know, if we don't support breweries, um, they don't stay open. If breweries don't modernise and stay, you know, uh, ahead of trends or stay at least on trend, 
we lose them. Um, so there was just so much out of that that was uh, teaching moments for me. Um, but it was ultimately very, very sad that a you know an old storied brewery um, has gone, um, and we will see a lot more of those go if if we don't heed the lessons from it. Um, locally, I mean, there's one brewery, and if you came to Australia, John, I would take you there um, because. They opened five years ago. It's called Heads of Noosa. It's in a beautiful part of the world. It's uh, Noosa Heads, which is one of those amazing beach communities that you just see photographed. Um, you know, it's one of the perceptions of Australia. But they opened five years ago on a fairly large scale for a craft brewery. Um, but they own, you know, when hazies were first coming, but uh, being huge and taking over the market, they opened up as a lager brewery. They opened with a Japanese lager, so a light, crisp, easy-drinking lager, and they only did bottles. So everything that they did was so counterintuitive um, for the times. But I just interviewed them this week, you know, five years on, and they just seemed to have gone very well. You know, um, they anticipated a trend. Everyone's trying to get into large volume or you know, beers that can become a larger volume um, that break out of the craft beer niche. So we've seen a lot of uh, Mexican, uh, you know, adjunct beers. We've seen a lot of you know, Japanese rice beers. Um, but these guys oh. just did it. They, they make a Pilsner. They make a really nice sort of bock light they make a bock they've just released a, a japanese black lager um and it, it if you'd asked five years ago i would have had real worry that they were just pitching their their, their brand wrong but they've been so apart from making great beer the business has just been they they've known what they've been doing and they've just stuck to their own lane they've not looked at anybody else and that's something that still excites me. In, in in a world of sameness, they did something different and really executed it well and uh, seemed to be doing well for it. I dig it. Brandon Hernandez, two minutes or less. Brewery that closed. Brewery oh, no, that I keep happy that's open. All right, great. Well, I'll make this very fast. Okay. That's because Internet. Brandon, Brandon, by the way, is sending me emails as we're talking, saying, gosh, if I'm, go <laughs> if I'm going too long, just feel free to feel free to cut me out. And I swear to God, my, my favorite thing about hanging out with writers on podcasts is that you all talk like you're getting paid by the word. <laughs> yes. Me Tell do. me I'm wrong. Um, yeah. Shep, Shep, right. Shep and Melissa are both, are both muted and <laughs> yeah, now you guys are quiet. No, uh, Brandon. Um, okay. Here we yeah. go. Here we go. So I would say, well, this year, I actually have the the pleasure of saying internationally going to Schlenkerla with a certain John Hall was really that was awesome. fun. I mean, just seeing what they put into everything, even after all these years and the passion they have for it, was just amazing. Um, last week, I was at a place called Offset Beer, where they knew who John Hall was. Without oh, me down in Park City, name, Utah, yeah, Park City, Utah. But that joke aside. Uh, I mentioned it because it made me really happy. It's a place that doesn't look like much. It's off the main drag, and there is just the main drag is pretty much the entire uh, city of Park City. Uh, you walk in there, and it's just this giant passion project uh, from a, uh, a figurative speaking uh, place. It's great IPAs, um, great loggers, all these styles that you're probably not going to come across at your average tap room, including two uh, smoked German style loggers. It was just an amazing place. If you're in Park City, please go there. 
Now, for my own hometown, I have a fit a a a, a, a pseudo answer. Place I went to this year made me happy was Modern Times. I have not been a big Modern Times fan over the the history of that company, and it's not just because I really didn't like somebody who happened to own the place who said I had a problem with everybody at that company when I only had a problem with them. Um, it is so much better now. The people there are so much happier as far as the people who are doing everyday work there as staffers. They feel rejuvenated from what I hear, and they're putting out great beer, and the, the new regime is just a much more positive one, and it, you can feel it in their tap room. So if you kind of swore off that place, there's some really good people working there, including new hires. Um, I would definitely recommend giving it another shot if you'd like. Um, okay. Go Garrett. And then uh, a more literal thing. I go to the Padres games all the time, and uh, it's down at Petco Park in downtown San Diego. East Village Brewing Company is across the street from that place. Opened up um, year before last. It was two uh, high-level Ballast Point folks who left after the company was sold so they could open a 1,000-square-foot brewery and tasting room. They're putting out solid beers. And I figure I'd mention this one because not only did it make me happy and I enjoyed it, but I think that a lot of people can. And if you come to San Diego, there's a chance you might go to a game. So there's news you can use. As far as places that closed, um, one thing that I love about my job, the best part of my job, in fact, is to get to meet all these people at all of these breweries. I literally am in contact with and know people at every single brewery in San Diego. And I love that. Um, I've gotten to know them over the years. So um, all of the closings almost almost <laughs> made me pretty sad. I mean, I've actually uh, not to get too personal here, but I, you know, the last several months I've kind of struggled with uh the amount of closures and and uh, sharing these stories and it's it's painful you know well, you guys are um, 15 I, years ahead of everybody else yeah yeah i mean if i was just a you know a beat writer and i didn't really know folks and somebody assigned me something i ran out there and i just met somebody real quick and wrote about it i seek out everybody as they're coming in i'm usually the first person they meet who's not you know in the brewing industry and i get to hear their i get to tell their story i get to tell their beginnings and and the course of their lifespan so now it's turning out that I'm becoming the last person they talk to on their way out. And I get to, I get actually the privilege of conveying, you know, their history and what they've achieved and, and uh, letting them go out with the the class that they deserve and, um, you know, try to get people in the door there the last week or so that they're going to be open so people can go appreciate it before it's gone. But um, yeah, it's, they've all saddened me quite a bit. And um I uh, I keep hoping that the floodgates will close, and I think they will eventually. But um, it's just uh, some really good people who won't be doing this anymore, and, and I, I hope that their staffs find homes and keep making the uh, the brewing industry here as good as it has been for so long. That's awesome. Two minutes times three, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks everybody. Thanks for thanks thanks Thank for you, doing John. this. Yeah, thanks, thanks John. for doing this together once again. We'll uh we'll try to do this in person one of these years. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know where. But I think it'd be. Oh, great I'm already to... looking at flights. Oh, excellent! Perfect. Yeah. Well, don't forget it's... the connecting flight to Australia because we're going to start at Industrial Arts and then we're going to get up to. Uh... Uh, if you if you go back and listen to the tape, uh, Matt only invited me. So <laughs> thanks so much, and I'll send you all a postcard. This is always a pleasure, and uh, for the weird year that it was, it's it's great to hear perspective from around the world from from all of you. So, thanks for doing this, and 
I mean, I'll be talking to you all before we do this again next year, but, um, but thanks again. Do you have a beer resolution for the new year? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can get with me on Instagram at Mr. John Hall. All About Beer is on Facebook, X, and Instagram. Follow along at All About Beer. And of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. As always, the Facebook group is easy to search. And on X and Instagram, it's at Beer. We're able to bring you the show each week, thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Pro Brewer. We bring original articles to probrewer.com each week, covering issues important to the beer industry and aimed at helping breweries of all sizes understand different facets of the business. Check out our articles on probrewer.com every Tuesday and visit the site daily for other original content and to stay connected with the beer industry. Don't forget, All About Beer is a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal the Spear has new episodes every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And don't forget, go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>